Well, he thought he was here just, you know, kind of off the clock. We threw him, said, hey, Stephen, why don't you do the, uh, the plugs on Sunday morning? And he was game. He jumped right in there, which was, I think, just kind of shows a little bit about uh, who he is. And, and he, he's going to be a lot of fun. We're really, really thankful that God brought him to us. And we look forward to him and his family coming. Uh, his, his wife will be teaching. She, God just blessed uh, their family with. She'll be teaching Spanish at Cascade Christian so um, she's super excited about that. Guys just kind of made, opened the doors and, and made a way for Stephen. So thank you very much for that. Keep praying for the fact that we're looking for um, a full-time director of worship. Jordan has been doing an awesome job as a volunteer now, and we're just so thankful for the, him standing in the gap. But keep your prayers going in that direction. Well, actually, next Sunday, we will have somebody coming in. They're going to lead in worship. So uh, please come and... and um, See what you think, okay? So I, I know that's, uh, we, it's kind of scary to call it an audition, but in, in a sense, that's kind of what it is. And so we're excited for it. And his name is Jordan, of all things. Um, he's coming, something about this Jordan thing, but anyways. One last uh, plug before we jump into our study. Uh, Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 18th, we're going to have a, a family fun date. And family fun date are for the young families in the church. You're trying to connect. You're trying to get, because it's hard. When you have a young family, how do you have time for that? Well, we are trying to combine both a, a time for you to get to know other people just like you that are kind of in your stage of life and also for you to be doing something fun with your kids. And so come back up here next Saturday from, at 10 o'clock for the family fun day. But you got to sign up. So sign up either on the website or on the church app. Let us know because we want to have enough supplies for you when you come. So that's it. Let me pray. And we'll ask for God's blessing on the time of teaching. God, thank you for the many varieties of people and uh, experiences, backgrounds that you bring together into what we call the church and what you call the church, Lord God. And I pray this morning as we open up your word that we, that we will equally all be open to hearing from you. Lord, I, I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say. And I pray that you would speak directly to each and every person here and everyone that's tuned in live stream, Lord, in a way that we could say we, we encountered you, we've experienced you. And Father, I pray your blessing over what we hear and how we live it out for your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, we are continuing our study on the book of Ephesians. Today is actually an interesting, a little bit of an interesting day. As I was studying, um, there's, there are passages in Scripture that are like this where there's really not a specific command. I mean, the closest thing you're going to find to a command is Paul's telling people just like you and me to remember something. And he's talking to people very much like you and me. If, if, any of us, if any of you in here are Jewish by descent, well, then that statement doesn't apply. But to probably 99% of us, if maybe not all of us, who are of Gentile descent, and Gentile descent means non-Jewish, then Paul was speaking to them, God speaking through Paul, and he was saying, remember, you were once a Gentile. And that's going to make sense in, in just a moment as I uh, unpack that for you. But this morning is about reconciliation. And I want us to think about, um, as, as people, as the ability to relate to one another, would you say, and I don't want to show of hands, but I think I'm speaking for all of us in here, would you say some of your strongest emotions and greatest joys have been because of another relationship? Maybe it was with a, a, a child, maybe it was with a friend or a parent, but it was like, man, it was just something that was just really rich and meaningful and deep. Conversely, 
would you not say that maybe your, your most difficult moments, the, the hardest that you've, um, experiences that you've had and feelings and emotions that you've had were because of another person? Uh, maybe a falling out, uh, maybe a betrayal, maybe a, a death. And, and we just realize how relationally connected we are. And it's just inescapable. I, and I know that even goes for introverts, okay? Even introverts, there's, there's a desire to be in relationship, just not as many, right? And um, God's wired us up that way. We're created in the image of God. God is inherently relational, right? God's revealed himself as one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And there's an interdependent relationship among those three. And so we see the perfection of relationship in God. Because we've been created in the image of God, he desires for that relational capacity and, and strength and health to be demonstrated and lived out. And that's where Paul's going this morning. So that's, we're going to take a look at and, and, and really kind of understand. Like I said, there's no commands today. I, I can't say to you, the Bible says this, so do it. I can't do that today. I don't have that card to play. But what we do have is, and what I hope to share with you today, is an understanding of something very significant. Paul refers to it as a mystery. Not mystery in that it's God was playing hide and seek. It was something that was held back and the curtain wasn't revealed, wasn't pulled back until this time as Paul's writing. And why is that so? And how might we understand that in light of, of live differently? And that's what I hope to accomplish. So if you have your Bibles open to your table of contents, if not, why don't you get there? And I want us to find the book of Ephesians. It's about a third of the way down in your New Testament table of contents. So let's get to Ephesians. And you're going to be at chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the last half of chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3. But before we do that, it's really important. Let's, let's just catch up real quick. What has happened in this letter that was written to a church just like our church, people just like you and me, uh, in, in uh, uh, Eastern, Western Turkey, okay? And um, Paul's writing this letter to them in Ephesus. And in the first, in week one of our study of, of Ephesians, Paul is declaring this incredible um, blessing that God has given the, his people. He just, it's just overflowing. And in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. In other words, Paul says, God has backed up this truck. He's just dumped out these spiritual blessings. All these blessings are in Christ through Christ. And then he goes on to elaborate what those are. That was week 1. Week 2, if you look at verse 17 of chapter 1, Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. What Paul is saying now is, I've just dumped these blessings on you. I've, I've just told you about them. I, 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 we've gone through them. Now he's saying, I want you to understand them. I want them to, 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 to become so um, understandable and, and so experienced that like a light ray that kind of breaks into a dark room, right? You see this, 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 little, this, this light ray that comes in. It, it, if, you're in. If you're in the dark and you see that, there's something that's soothing about that. There's something that's wonderful about that. But what's important is if you trace that light beam all the way up, it goes to the source. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, all these blessings, trace them back to the source that you would know and experience not the gifts, but the giver of those gifts. And then last week, we looked at the first part of chapter 2. And there we saw Paul is now, he's kind of expanding this idea of what God has given us. 
uh, and, and understanding that, that as the giver of these gifts, who God is, that he operates in this amazing um, reality called grace, right? Verse 1 of chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He says, you were gone. You were, you were toast in your, dread, in your uh, trespasses and sins. And then in verse 4, he says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love. And he talks about I want you to understand what God, he's given you these blessings. I want you to understand the power of them because they, and, and trace them back to the giver of those blessings. But understand that the whole thing, everything about that is, is immersed in this idea of grace. You deserve nothing. And yet, God has given you everything. Verse 8, for you were saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. Paul's just reminding them of that now. We get to today. And today what we see is where God, through Paul, wants to expand this idea of grace. And it's an eternal purpose that God always had. Again, he's holding back. It's a mystery. It's not because he's trying to play hide and seek. He's not trying to frustrate. He's just got this progressive revelation, and now is the time in which he expands this grace. His eternal purpose is to widen the scope of it. And, and here's, he, and he's going to explain that, and I don't have to do, I'm going to have to do a little bit of going back to the Old Testament to really make sense of what he's saying. But let's start with verse 11 of chapter 2, where, where Paul is talking about the expansion of the people of God and the grace that he bestows on them. So follow along with me, verses 11 and 12. He says, so then, remember, there's your command, that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without the Messiah, meaning Jesus excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Now, you've got to understand, I've got to understand the backstory here. And the backstory is that long ago in the Old Testament, God wanted to reveal himself to all humanity. And he sovereignly chooses the Jews to do it. There wasn't anything uh, special about them. There wasn't anything that caught his eye. There wasn't anything deserving of them. It was that God said, I choose you. And he reveals himself through the prophets. And he, reveals, and he raises up the prophets, and he reveals himself through the law that he gives to Moses. And Moses begins to teach the people of God, here's how I want you to live distinctively. And the whole idea is that they would live their lives differently than everybody else, and it would draw attention to their God. Now, everybody who wasn't a part of Moses and the people that God chose, which was the, the Jews, were called Gentiles. And there was, you, you, um, I, I just read to you about, the, they would um, mockingly call those Gentiles the uncircumcised. Why did they do that? Because God gave to Abraham, the father of the Jews, God called Abraham out. He says, you're going to lead my people. Later on, Moses comes. He gives Moses the law. So Moses and Abraham, two very important patriarchs uh, of, of the Jewish nation and of God's people. And he tells Abraham that he wants, that every boy on the eighth day, it needs to be circumcised as a sign of this covenant that God has just made. So, that, so there would be the sign of the covenant. And, and the Jews took that and, and would begin to mock the Gentiles who were not circumcised. And, and because they were not a part of this covenant that God made, they were outside of the promises and, and outside of the covenant. And it made it very easy 
for God's people to ridicule, to make fun of, to say, you're on the outside. They weren't supposed to do that because God, when he told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he said, I'm in covenant with you for the purpose of blessing all nations. Now, I'm asking you, have you ever been on the outside? Have you ever been excluded because of your gender? Have you ever been excluded because of the color of your skin? Have you ever been excluded because of where you live or don't live or the school you went to or didn't go to? Have you ever been excluded? Have you ever been ridiculed, mocked? I want us to feel this because this is, what's been going, this is what was going on in the history of God's people between the Jewish people and everybody else who were Gentiles. And, and, and God says that's not right. And, and God has, is revealing now this, this mystery that we'll read about in a moment about making that wrong right. And there was hostility between the two of them. Now, I mean, come on. Can today, would we say we could relate to the hostility? Right? I mean, politically, can we relate to hostility? Sadly so. Right? Uh, can we relate to um, hostility between pro-life and pro-choice? Between masks, no masks, vaccines, no vaccines. I mean, we're like immersed, we're like saturated with this idea of hostility, right? We, we can relate to the fact that, and think about this. I, I mean, I, you know some people, I know some people. Friendships have been lost over this hostility. People have left the church because of this hostility, right? We can relate to that. I, I know we have people in here who have gone through a divorce. You understand what it means to be separated and and that's what's happening that 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 god's people have been excluding ridiculing and mocking the gentiles and and god's had enough of that it, it never was the intention and and so god is, is coming to do something to uh, to address it now let me just drop it w- just one more level down to really understand the level of hostility okay so there was a temple, the Jewish temple. That's where God's people went to worship God. They had these different courts that, that you could, you know, certain people could only go into them. The Gentile court. There was a huge wall on the Gentile court. And it was, not only was it the furthest court outside of the temple proper, but it was also several feet below. And so as a Gentile, as you made that walk, if you wanted to worship the God of Israel, as you made that walk, you were walking forever away from the temple proper where the sacrifices were made, uh, where the teaching was. You had to walk away from that. Then you had to walk down and you had to stare at this wall that said, if you go past this wall, you risk death. That level of hostility. How far back do we have to go for that to really appreciate that and understand that? I don't think we have to go that far back in the history of our country. Go back when, when black people uh, were ridiculed and mocked and excluded, when they were enslaved, when they were segregated. I mean, there was hatred, there was anger, both ways. So, so we don't have to go that far back. That's what's going on here in, with the people of God. And Paul is bringing this up now. And he's, he's, he's talking to Gentiles. That's, that's who's in Ephesus. He is speaking to Gentiles who have been on the outside. They've been mocked. They've been ridiculed. They don't want anything to do with the God of the Jews. At least most of them don't. And God sends Paul out to say, I'm doing something. I'm, I'm doing something. I'm bringing the two together as one. Let's pick that up. 
verse 14. Or verse 13. Let's go back to verse 13. It says, but now. But now. He says, you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were outside the covenants. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. Meaning Jesus For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we, have, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You, are, you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you. Paul's making a reference to the fact that God is sending him out to, to, to bring the Gentiles in. He says, the mystery was made known to me by my revelation. There's that mystery. As I have briefly written above, By reading this, you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. This was not made known to people in other generations, in other words, back in the Old Testament, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are, because now he's real, what's that mystery, Paul? It's that the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints. A reference to the fact that Paul, remember who was Paul? Paul was a Jewish zealot and he persecuted and killed Christians in order to try to preserve and protect his religious, his religion. And, and Jesus intercepted and interrupted that. So he's, he's, he's alluding pejoratively somewhat to I, I was the least of all the saints he says to proclaim the gentiles the incalculable riches of the messiah and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in god who created all things this is so god's multifaceted wisdom wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities of the heavens this is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in the messiah jesus our lord in him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. So let me, I'm going to pull out three observations from this. Clearly, I hope you heard Paul is talking about a new day. Paul is talking about something very special. He calls it a mystery. Something has happened here. And what Paul is saying, you look at verses 13 through 16. There are three different references in there to Jesus' crucifixion, his death. Now, you ask most Christians why Jesus died. And they will answer the question, to save me from my sins, to reconcile me back to God. I need the forgiveness of my sins with with a holy, perfect, and righteous God. And Jesus did that for me. That's how people answer that question, and it's right. 
But Paul brings out another layer to what Jesus did on the cross. Not only did Jesus reconcile people, I mean, vertically, but he reconciles them horizontally. And that's important. And we need to be thinking about that. And he gives birth to the church as a result of this horizontal reconciliation. He's saying, you Gentiles, you're now included. You are now co-heirs. You are equals with the Jews. That, my friends, to the Jew was just repulsive. That was crazy talk. But that was the mystery that God was unfolding in the death of Christ. It wasn't just vertical reconciliation and being forgiven for our sins. It was being right horizontally. To which Paul later says that that this mystery of of, of Jesus' death impacting vertical and horizontal, bringing the Gentiles in, he says, this is the wisdom of God in the church. So it it comes as a part of the reconciliation that that Jesus died for us. And and, and what I have you writing down there is also for this horizontal reconciliation where where it was referred to before as the tearing down uh, or the dividing wall of hostility. He says he made no effect uh, of the law. What does it mean that he, he made no effect of the law in verse 15? Why is he saying that? The law that was given to Moses, particularly the sacrificial law, the regulations and the ceremonies and all those important things that they did were to remind them that they were Jewish and God's chosen people. And what it did, unfortunately, it did not have this intent. The intent was for them to realize their purposes as the people of God were to bless all nations. What it did is it reinforced their exclusivity. It reinforced we're the special people of God. Nah, 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 nah. That, that's kind of what happened. And Jesus came to live a perfect life to die of substitutionary death so that we could be forgiven for our sins, but also so that there could be reconciliation across the board where Paul says there would be one new man, one body. And he's talking about this amazing organization that to this point had never existed in time at all, and it's the church. He's talking about the reconciliation, the Jews and Gentiles coming together, and and they become the new Israel, if I can say it that way. The promises that God gave to Abraham about the the, the blessing of God's people and and the blessing of all nations through through the nation of Israel now becomes not a nation that comes through physical descent and lineage, but it's spiritual descent. It's to those who put their faith and trust in God in Christ. They now become together as one. It's the church. And there are no, in in this church, there are no classes of people. There is only one class of people. One class of people in this new organization, this new entity that that Jesus' death um, inaugurates. And that is broken people. That's it. The class of everyone in this room right here, everyone here who's a follower of Jesus, some of us in this room, honestly, you have a higher IQ than others. Clearly, we have different genders in here, right? We have different giftings and talents. We have different experiences. We have different color of skin. There's a lot of differences in here. But the idea with the church, what's unique about the church is we all have in common that we're all broken. And we know that. We understand our limitations. We understand our brokenness and and that we need a savior. 
And that's really what unites us. When you think about it, what is it that really brings people together? What is it that honestly, when you break through, you know, is it the school you went to? Hey, yeah, we go to the same school, man. We're, we're tight, right? You know, or hey, we work at the same, uh, with the same company, and, and I see, you know, this person while I'm working, yeah, and we're really tight, you know. And, hey, we live a few streets, uh, a few houses down, and we, you know, we see each other. We mow the lawn about the same time. Yeah, man, we know each other. I say hi. We're really tight. No, what really brings us together is our vulnerabilities, it is when we share and, 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 and become real and vulnerable for a moment and show our brokenness. And when it's received, it's not ridiculed, it's not mocked, it's not rejected. And why would it not be rejected? Why would it not be mocked? Because the person who's receiving it realizes, I'm broken too. And that brings us together, and it levels the playing field. We're all equal. Every one of us is equal. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 this is a, a, a clarion call to the equality of people in the church in terms of their, their value and worth. He says in Galatians 3, 28, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, do you have any spiritual pride? Have you ever thought that that you were better than another person because of your relationship with God, because they weren't a Christian. Maybe it was on TV. Maybe it was someone you work with. Maybe it was someone you lived close to. Maybe it was someone in your family. But have you ever had that moment where you thought for a moment, or maybe longer, man, I wish they were more like me. They should be more like me. I mean, let's be honest. I think every one of us in here has had that moment where we kind of felt like, there was some spiritual superiority in some way. And, and Paul is crushing that idea. He is talking to those who have been crushed. And he says, come on in. This is the amazing thing that Christ has done. Not just vertically, but horizontally. So, here he is pulling them together. And notice that in the midst of pulling them together, as he tears down these walls of hostility, what he's after is he's after peace. He's, asked, he's after reconciliation of people horizontally. So let's talk practically for a moment for this. What, what Paul is saying is that the church glorifies God when we seek to be, to the best of our ability and what we can do, when we seek to be reconciled with one another. Okay? Let's talk marriage. When we're reconciled in our marriages, is it any wonder that divorce is so hurtful to God? When two people come together, particularly two followers of Jesus, when they come together, and, and, and God is, is the foundation of their relationship, and when that gets severed, when that gets broken, I mean, like I said, go back to what I was talking about before, there's nothing more painful than when someone hurts you in a relationship. Why? Because we're just relationally created beings and because relationships are really important to God. And so we, we, we do everything we can to reconcile. We, we should not be okay. And some of you might be sitting here realizing, I'm not right with somebody. I'm not right with my spouse. I'm not right with my child. I'm not right with my friend. I'm not right with someone in this church. I'm not right with me. Maybe Kevin's upset me. But I'm just going to sit here. My friends, that doesn't happen in the church. That doesn't glorify God. That, that, is, that is not living consistent with what Jesus died for us, and that was to have horizontal reconciliation, not merely vertical reconciliation. He desires for us to live 
in relationship with each other. Now, here's, here's something that's ironic, or, or maybe this might surprise you. When living out your life, when the church lives out its life like the church should live its life out, there are times, rightly so, that we're divisive. And there are two, two questions that are asked that depending on how you answer that question, th these two questions will divide people. It's, it's unavoidable. Now, they will divide people outside of the church. They should not divide people inside the church. But there are two questions that will naturally, inherently divide and when the church is being the church and answers these two questions correctly, we will inherently divide people. So when we see this reconciliation, the, the coming together, the, the two becoming one, we see how important that was that Jesus died for that. We need to understand that it is, to, it is Christ's followers coming together, the, the, the two becoming one as followers of Jesus, but realizing that when we live out our lives in response to that, we will be divisive at times. And the two questions... If you go back to verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2, what does he say? In verse 19, he says, So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. There it is, that two becoming one. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. What are the two questions that will be divisive to people outside the church? The first one is, who is Jesus. Paul is saying that Jesus is the cornerstone to this new entity, this new uh, household of God, the two becoming one, and the cornerstone is Jesus himself. And to people on the outside, Jesus can be many things. He can be a teacher. He can be a humanitarian. Uh, he can be a, a model or an example of how to live morally, but that's not who he is. I mean, he's, I should say, that's, that's the least of who he is. He is the son of God. He is God in flesh that we are to submit and surrender to. And when you start talking about Jesus in that way and you live your life in light of that, my friends, that will be divisive to people outside the church. It's just unavoidable. And the second question is, notice that he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He's talking about the teaching of God's word. And that's the second question. The second question is, is the Bible the word of God? And I mean, we're seeing that today now. I mean, we're seeing in the church where, where churches are dividing sadly. And I, and I believe there are, there's the true church and there's the false church. But churches are dividing over the identity of Jesus and whether God's word is truly, inherently, infallibly, properly interpreted the word of God that we are to submit our lives to. It, it doesn't, God's word, um, or the Bible it, uh, doesn't contain truth of God's word. It, it's not uh, moral principles by which to live or inspirational stories to motivate you. And that's how some people see the Bible. And that will divide, rightly so, the true church from the false church. And so those are the two questions. Now I realize it gets kind of tricky when you talk, start talking about the Bible. I'm seeing this more and more as I talk with people who are struggling with what's going on in our world, and in particular, I'm just gonna call it out right now, this struggle with our sexuality. 
And there's a push in the church right now, strongly so, for churches to somehow soften the words of God about the inappropriateness of living a homosexual life. And there's this idea that somehow, someway, they're trying to twist things to make it say, well, if they live a monogamous, same-sex marriage, then God will bless that. And there's a pressure in our culture to accept that. But that doesn't square with this. And to hold to this means to say, this is the word of God. This is true truth. This is where you're going to find life. Is to be divisive. And it's just, it's, it's very difficult. As a pastor, it's very hard to see people struggling, leaving the church over this, forsaking their faith, walking away from their faith because they cannot accept what the teaching of God's word says. And so when I, earlier when I said the, the rightly interpreted word of God, we have to understand that we all make interpretations of God's word, right? And in our beliefs, we talk about this in our 101 class, in our beliefs we have what we call our essential beliefs. These are the things that we all need to be on the same page with. We all, all have to agree to the essential beliefs. And, and the essential beliefs are mainly beliefs that relate to salvation, how one becomes a follower of Jesus, how one's sins are forgiven, how one is saved, whatever you want to call it. There are some essential beliefs like Jesus is God in flesh, that Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven. If you don't believe that or walk away from that, well, then salvation is in question and, and we're really outside of true orthodox teaching that, that Paul makes a reference to going back to the, that built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We go way back. We have a history of this teaching that has made its way and kept its way through many years. So we have our essential beliefs. Then we have our non-essential beliefs. And our non-essential beliefs are outside of salvation. And this is where we need to have um, freedom. We need to let people agree to disagree. So we need unity with the essentials. And we give freedom to the non-essentials. We allow people to agree to disagree. Now when I say that, that doesn't mean that we let false teaching just run rampant either. We have to make sure that we understand as the Bible teaches that there is room for, dis, um, for, for, for disagreement. But there's also, you can disagree so much so that you're outside the realm of orthodox teaching and, and we have to guard and protect that. Now, lastly, as it comes to our beliefs, so essential, we have unity. Non-essential, we have uh, freedom and then, or liberty. And then thirdly, all of our beliefs, we need to have charity. And by charity, I mean we need to realize that um, growing in Christ-likeness, understanding who God is, who you are, how to live your life, what's true, what's not true, that takes time. And so we have to have charity that says, I understand that spiritual growth is a process. And, and, and maybe what they don't understand now, they will understand later. I need to give room for that. Just like I was given room. I, there's some things I don't understand now that people have given me room that I will eventually understand. So we have to have all that working. That's the dynamic that works inside this new mystery entity that's called the church in which there's reconciliation and we come together where we're, we're, we hold one class and that is we are all broken and that humbles every one of us and allows us to, to be reconciled and to be together. That the church was not built on and never intended to be built on the values of today, to, to accommodate through culture what we want and, and steering and manipulating God's word to make it say what we want. That's just not it. Last thing I'll say about, last observation about the church, and maybe this one's, this is the one that 
to me is the most powerful. Look at chapter three, verse eight. He says, the grace that was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah. He says, man, God gave me that to go to you, to come to you, and to proclaim that you are one of us and we are one of you. He says, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for the ages. That's the fact that God was bringing Jew and Gentile together. Now, they knew that Jews and Gentiles would come together. Genesis chapter 12, we knew that. God uh, told Abraham, you're going to bless all nations. All nations meant those outside of the Jewish nation. So they knew that. But what was, what was amazing about it, what was really kind of scandalous about it, was the fact that they were equals, co-heirs, no distinctions all the same. And my friends, that's how it is in here. We're all the same. God doesn't love anyone in here more than another. God doesn't look at anyone in here more important than the other. We are all the same. I mean, that's a mystery, considering that we all have different backgrounds and experiences and, and, and personalities and, and records and whatever you want to call it, but all the same. And the, that 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 mystery him him doing that verse 10 he says this is so god's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens my friends the church is by design an expression of god's wisdom but notice to it it's to the to those in the heavenly realms it's to it's to god's spiritual friends and foes that they, they didn't even know. And as God unfolded this, as, as he showed his, his manifold wisdom in the church coming together from all different walks of life, no longer are God's chosen people, no longer do they have boundaries as a nation. Man, they are everywhere. Every church that lifts up the name of Christ, every church that proclaims the word of God, wherever they are, whatever government they're under, they are the manifold wisdom of God, a reconciling community of faith, living out what it means to follow Jesus. That is what is a profound mystery. That shows the wisdom of God. God reveals this wisdom, not merely in a great new life, but in a great new humanity of people coming together and living their lives to reflect the wisdom of God. So, no commands in there. What I draw from this is I, I believe the challenge for, for us this week is we really need to look at where can we help with reconciliation. Where do I need to find um, where I can help in reconciliation in my life? Maybe it is my marriage. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's with a church member. Maybe it's with a coworker, a sibling, a parent, a child. Maybe it's a race. Maybe it's a gender. Maybe it's someone who's outside the faith. And you have a chance to help bring reconciliation between them and God. But we, that's what marks the wisdom of God is when we come together and all of our mosaic look and, and, and all of our um, backgrounds and gifts and when we come together and, and we live in peace with one another and, and we reconcile with one another and then we seek to bring others into that reconciliation. Okay, let me pray. Father, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your grace and mercy with us. God, thank you for Paul. What an amazing man. How you turned his life around from hating Christians, pursuing and seeking to, to stop them, to arguably becoming 
the greatest New Testament Christian of all. And Father, I pray that we would sense the weight of what Jesus has done for us in our new lives and what he's given us in, in our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. But Father, I pray that we would also feel the weight of how important it is that we seek to be reconciled horizontally, that we not let bitterness or anger hold us back. Father, that we would break through that for your glory to express the manifold wisdom of God to your heavenly friends and foes so that you would be glorified as you justly deserve. And I pray this in Jesus' name.